You like Huey Lewis on the news? They're okay. Their early work was a little too new wave for my taste. But when sports came out in 83, I think they really came into their own, commercially and artistically. The whole album has a clear, crisp sound and a new sheen of consummate professionalism that really gives the songs a big boost. He's been compared to Elvis Costello, but I think Huey has a far more bitter, cynical sense of humor. Hey, Albert, Yes, Alan? Why are there copies of the style section on the play? Do you, you have a dog? A little chow or something? <laughs> no, Alan. <laughs> is that a raincoat? Yes, it is. In 87, Huey released this for their most accomplished album. I think their undisputed masterpiece is Hip to Be Square. The song's so catchy, most people probably don't listen to the lyrics. But they should, because it's not just about the pleasures of conformity and the importance of friends. It's also a personal statement about the band itself. Hey, Paul! Recorded live in the USA and covering the whole wide world, this is the Bubble Genius Bob and Chez Show. Right on! With Bob Seska and Chez Pazienza. Worried, right? It's getting crowded in there, and all my recent data points to something big on the horizon. What do you mean, the big? Well, let's say this Twinkie represents the normal amount of psychokinetic energy in the New York area. According to this morning sample, it would be a Twinkie 35 feet long, weighing approximately 600 pounds. <coughs> That's a big Twinkie. We could be on the verge of a fourfold cross rip, a PKE surge of incredible, even dangerous proportions. We just had a visit from the Environmental Protection Agency. How's the grid holding up? Not good. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? The following podcast contains harsh language, nudity, graphic violence, adult situations, and a healthy obsession with empirical reality. The Bubble Genius Bob and Chez Show. Yes, it is. Bob Seska here. Chez Pazienza here. Wow, we got that down. Yeah. God. Try getting a reservation at Dorcia now, you fucking stupid bastard. <laughs> God, t- I love that movie so much. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, clips obviously for Halloween of my two favorite horror movies. I would consider uh, them. I, I, like, I guess I'm not a big horror movie fan, so these two are the closest ones that I really, really love that could be considered horror movies. American okay. Psycho, of course, and Ghostbusters. American Psycho is is the book, the Brett Easton Ellis book, has benefited so much from <laughs> hindsight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to think of sort of how it was received when it first came out, and looking back on it, how absolutely scathingly brilliant it was now from you know knowing what we know about the 80s and and you yeah. know sort of being able to stand outside of it i mean just such a such a, a absolute rip roaring indictment of everything that 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 entire sort of ethos brilliant yeah yeah and then uh christian bale in that movie and jared leto in that scene too one of our jared favorite leto, uh, yeah our favorite uh bands at leto is it leto is that how you pronounce yeah, it yeah leto yeah from, uh, leto. from 30 seconds from jordan catalano slash 30 seconds to mars man. Yeah, yeah 30 seconds to mars i love that band yeah great band 
They were out here a while ago, and I missed it. Last, uh, missed their concert about a month ago. They're good live. They're really good live, actually. They're, they're incredible live. If you go to YouTube yeah. and watch uh, 30 Seconds to Mars, any of their live clips, jeez, that guy, I yeah, mean, terrific. Jared Leto is, uh, yeah. is, I mean, a surprisingly great singer. Yeah. Uh, mm. There's so much to get to this week. I don't even know if we're going to get to all of it. But, I mean, first and foremost, since we did our last show, which was early last week, we did a show. We recorded on Tuesday. It was released on Wednesday. Since then, we got economic growth is up. Gaddafi was killed. All of the troops are going to be coming home from Iraq by the end of the year. And yet the president's approval numbers are still hovering around 40%. I don't uh, – I, I, I'm not even going to try to figure out why this is anymore well i can i can help you out with one no you know what i was just about to say i can help you out oh. with one of them which is that the troops coming home from iraq have, have it has nothing at all to do with obama i know this because i read on greenwald and and of course the That's person right. truly responsible is american martyr bradley manning mm-hmm. as he is as he is for all the good things that happen with us all all of them well, see, but, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's I, I almost don't want to bring it up because it's like, fuck him. He's on a book tour and I write about him too much. And I'm so fucking sick of griping about his pious ass. Oh, it's predictable. I mean, it's all predictable what Greenwald wrote about. It is. You know, it the- is unbelievably predictable. And that's the issue that I always have with him. Uh, it's it's shtick. It's routine. It's it's the second anything happens that may look mildly good for. Obama for the administration for the government, uh, you can count the seconds before the passive aggressive schleprocky tweet shows up saying, I-, "I hate to bother everyone's party, but there's uh-huh. this and was the law." Bro-? It's like, dude, shut the fuck up. Yeah, really. Seriously, you know, the it's the old comics joke: too soon, too soon. Mm-hmm. Give us a goddamn second. Right. I mean, what the gist of what he wrote was there was a status of forces agreement. That was uh, authored and, and passed through Iraqi parliament uh, in the final days of the Bush administration. And so that's SOFA, as they call it, uh, dictated that uh, the last of the troops, the last of the soldiers, American soldiers, would be out of the country, out of Iraq, by the end of 2011, which is what we have coming up. What Greenwald doesn't mention is that this status of forces agreement was designed in a way and accepted by uh, DOD and the military because it was so full of loopholes that they figured, okay, well, we've got a couple of years. It's only late 2008. We've got until the end of 2011. We'll come up with a way to wiggle through these loopholes and stay longer than the end of 2011. So Greenwald doesn't mention that. That the intention of the American military was to linger uh, beyond that deadline. And, you know, uh, Iraq isn't going to dispute the United States, especially the United States military. They may put up a fuss. They may uh, gripe about it. But, you know, if they wanted to stay, if the military wanted to stay, they would stay. I mean, we're only talking about 7,000 to 13,000 soldiers. I mean, we're not talking about a huge number of troops. And all the combat troops are out. Right. Uh, and so that's it. And uh, th- there's a there's an arrogance about these kinds of posts that uh, what they do to satisfy their agenda. And I'm, I, they I mean, for lack of a better term, firebaggers. What they do is they automatically assume 
that any voice or any leak out of the executive branch of the federal government, the, the entire executive branch, which includes the military, the Department of Defense, all the sub-branches and bureaus, everything, anything that leaks out, it's Obama. That's the assumption. that It's President Obama who's, who's pushing this along and ushering these things through all of these uh, machinations that are going on behind the scenes. And so they assume that because the military or if Leon Panetta uh, being pressured as, as the, the newly uh, sworn in uh, Secretary of Defense, maybe he's being pressured by the military. This is all going on behind the scenes. There are infinite layers of politics being played just within the Obama administration. All right. But people have differing viewpoints. Should we stay? Should we honor the standards of forces agreement? Unless Glenn Greenwald and all of the usual suspects have some sort of brain MIDI attachment that, that connects, that patches into the president's brain, or unless they're somehow privy to secret meetings in the situation room, they don't know what the hell the president's thinking, what he supported. So the bottom line is here that the president has decided to honor the Iraqi government wishes, despite what the military has wanted since this damn thing was ratified by the Iraqi parliament uh, three years ago. So, and that's significant. So that means, that indicates to me that the president had something to do with this decision. So you, d and besides the broader issue in all of this, and I made all of this clear in the blog and go look it up. But, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is that the president, that we, we left Iraq, the war has ended on President Obama's watch. That's all that you really need to know. Greenwald paints the picture that the reason that we're pulling out is because, uh, the second we go past that deadline, uh, the very first thing that's going to happen is Iraq is going to begin en masse charging U.S. soldiers for war crimes, for, you know, heinous, awful things that they have supposedly done, um, you know, which is it's it's a hell of a leap of logic. Well, God, yeah. I mean, there's so many reasons why, uh, you know, it might have been appropriate to stay. And none of those reasons I would necessarily agree with. Enough's enough. This is a uh, this is a mistake from the beginning. It was illegal from the beginning. Uh, the reasons we went in were wrong. I mean, you know all the, the the factors behind all of this, and the fact that we are getting out and we're getting out per uh, instructions from the Iraqi government is significant, especially given the moneyed interests who would love, love, love to see us stay, to see soldiers on the ground in in Iraq including uh, most of the Republicans in Congress, by the way. And suffice to say, every wingnut conservative who's in front of a microphone or in front of a keyboard has, uh, you know, scolded the president for standing by the status of forces agreement and not allowing the military to stick around a little longer. So, I mean, who's right here? Obviously, we know that, uh, you know, the president... Um, honored the uh, the wishes of the Iraqi government and that that's to be applauded you know regardless of any of that the war is over that's to be applauded I mean whoever gets credit for it is is almost kind of irrelevant the, the damn thing is over and we never thought I mean let's look back uh, let's rewind about three years four years who who in a million years would have predicted any of this would have gone down the things that we have witnessed, uh, throughout the course of the Obama administration, the, the very election of, of Barack Obama never would have predicted that. 
You go back to Election Day 2004, I'm sitting in my garage, just tears running down my face, I don't mind saying, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and just lamenting you know, all of those, uh, you remember all those uh, ballot initiatives against gay marriage, and it was just a disaster, 2004, yeah. and uh, never would have predicted any of this would have happened. But, you know, there's this thing, and, uh, you know, there was an author named Robert Perry who wrote a brilliant piece this week. It was called uh, The Vanity of Perfectionism. Progressive perfectionism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I added the, uh, I think I added the liberal or p- progressive word in there. But, I mean, he wrote a, a fantastic piece for oh, okay. Consortium News. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. I'm giving you credit. You are now officially, you are now officially the P. Diddy of that sample. You have uh, ripped it off and added your own shit to it. And right. I've just accepted it as if it's your song. Right. Well, that's I, what I do. And I even got it wrong. The, the, actually, the, the headline of the piece is Why the Left Won't Accept Success. You know, and it seems like we get off on this tangent every week, but you know, it's again, it's it's important. It it really is, and and you know, I think those of us who are observing, you know, empirical reality as best we can, kind of have a responsibility to inject this into the conversation as often as possible. Yeah, but if you do, you're automatically, you know, you're a cult of personality, or you're a sycophantic suck up to the Obama administration. It's like, look, you know what? I'm so tired of having to sort of defend myself on the blog when it comes to this, because look, there are things Obama has done that have infuriated me, and things he hasn't done that that have infuriated oh, yeah. me. You know that Frank Rich original sin article that he wrote a while back about how by not immediate, basically immediately throwing half of fucking Wall Street in jail. Um, you know, that was a major problem. You know, I mean, I'm obviously being hyperbolic, but, you know, that that sort of thing uh, that sort of set the tone. Yeah, I, I actually do kind of believe that. I mean, I still have, I'm still furious about that. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that that I overlook every single thing, all the good things that have happened. And there have been many. And it doesn't mean that I don't that I don't give credit where credit is due. And it doesn't mean that I go off the goddamn rails and start. Uh, like you said, getting inside of Obama's head, and which is something that that Greenwald does constantly. He's he's always, uh, you know. I think oh, I'm trying to remember what piece it was that he wrote a while back, where he basically said flat out, he's like, "Look, uh, Obama's not a progressive. He doesn't care about your uh, um, the things that you care about. And if you're progressive and you back him, essentially, he said, if you're progressive and you back him, you're crazy because he doesn't care about you. Yeah. And it's bullshit. He just doesn't adhere to whatever insane fucking standard." Uh, the the as you said the usual suspects have set which is they you know they and they alone define what true uh progressivism liberalism whatever kind of government it is that we're supposed to to have they and they alone define that yeah yeah and, it's a, it's a near and if side obama falls beneath it then he's you know not only does he does he just make mistakes he doesn't just make mistakes he is uh he's wrong across the board he is evil and it just it just makes me want to smack somebody yeah yeah, really. I mean, it it's gets. A- ex- I mean, it gets truly, truly. We've. I've used this word before uh, a bunch of times in the show. It just gets exhausting. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's one of the things that, that have been, I think, most disappointing over the last three years. It's not necessarily anything the president's done, and certainly I've uh, voiced many uh, disagreements with some positions the president has taken. Most recently, with the debt deal, the debt ceiling deal, and I was very emphatic about how much of a bad idea that was. Because yeah, I was, any I was sort of spending hugely pissed about that. Yeah, and I think we spent some time on this show talking about that. But uh, you know, I, I think there's a uh, there's a nearsighted 
perfectionism. It's this vanity of perfectionism that uh, is just completely disconnected with reality. And the people who I I formerly thought uh, were brilliant, bright people, uh, Glenn Greenwald included. You know, that's a great point. I mean, and I know you and I, God knows we've talked about this. Um, you know, if you go back through the stuff that I've written, I, I man, I, yeah, he's, he's somebody that I really, I was, uh, I supported, you know, I, I really, I liked a lot of the stuff that he had to say, and I still do on occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he's definitely not a stupid guy, not by any stretch of the imagination, but yeah, it just, it has become, it's become shtick. It's become routine. He's made, like you, you said a, a few shows ago, he's made a career out of it and yeah. it just, at some point, it, it just once again, it just gets exhausting, and yeah. and it becomes like I said, you get to the point now where, the minute anything happens that I I look and I think I can say pretty objectively is a good thing for the country, for the administration, uh, the kind of thing that that normal human beings who are American would say, yeah, you know what, that that looks good, that's a good thing. It, it takes two seconds for the tweet for the the pissy tweet to show up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I saw some of that with my Huffington Post column yesterday. Was, if you look through the comments, there was, in fact, one uh, one guy said, uh, and I'm just saying guy, I have no idea the, uh, the gender of the, the comment. I read. They, they said uh, some of the effect. Well, you know, President Obama hasn't done a damn thing to, to punish uh, Wall Street or to regulate Wall Street himself. And I said, did you read what I just wrote? That entire paragraph where I detailed the Dodd-Frank uh, Consumer Protection Act? Did you read that thing? Do you, do you, are, are you aware of the Consumer Protection Bureau and Elizabeth Warren? And, uh, you know, I mean, it's not a great bill. I mean, it's watered down as most of anything that goes through the United States Senate these days was. But, you know, it's still it's something. And it's and it's, in fact, the biggest uh, regulatory piece of legislation passed against Wall Street since the Great Depression, since the, the years. Uh, uh, this is the early Roosevelt years. I mean, that's that's pretty big. I, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, certainly the president hasn't gone around and duck walked a bunch of people out of there. Or what, what do they call that? Uh, frog wa- frog march. Perp walk. <laughs> perp walk. Yeah, perp frog march. That's what the cops and the news people call it. It's a perp walk. And I called it, I called it a duck walk. Right. Every, I mean, everybody wants to, There's no doubt frog about march. it. Yeah. There is that part. That is that completely illogical part of me that wants to see that. Yeah. That wants to be like, you know, I want to see Jamie Dimon and fucking William Blank find perp walk and then i want a camera inside you know the cell where they are uh, raped in much the same way they rape the global economy yeah yeah and none of that has happened yet yet but again as we talked about last week uh you know in the context of elliot spitzer it's really difficult to unravel all of this shit i mean it let's is. face it i mean they came up with schemes that the regulators the existing regulators are still trying to unravel I mean, if you talk about CDOs, credit default swaps, and all of those various uh, uh, paper-based derivatives, uh, you know, loan-based, it's it's just such a twisty. You know, if you just try to describe to me what a short sale is, it's just like, but what short? You're short selling a well, stock. That's, you that's mean you you borrow the stock and then you 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 pay and then you you actually make money when the stock price goes down. What the hell is that? I, and that's yeah. T- Taibbi that's just, said that that's in like, yeah, but and and that's he said, just, he said he said they count they basically count on you having no fucking clue what it is that they do. Exactly, exactly. So you know, finding them and 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 weeding out the crime is going to take a while, especially when a lot of these corporations can just outspend uh, by a power of God only knows what. 
the federal government, state government, the attorney general. I mean, there's a pretty solid attorney general in New York who's kind of taken up Spitzer's mantle and you know, is going after some of these guys. But, you know, it takes some time. It takes some time. And I know. I mean, it's, I'm impatient, too. I want it to happen now. I want to see these guys frog-marched. But regardless, I mean, the point being that, you know, here I am presenting a bit of reality with regards to what has occurred uh, since the Obama administration took over uh, regarding Wall Street and consumer protection and uh, regulating the financial sector. And someone's like, well, no, no, the president hasn't done anything, completely ignoring what he actually has done. So, and this goes on at the professional level. I mean, I, you know, I hate singling out commenters because it's not really a good sampling. But, it, you know, it just it happens at, at every level, the professional left or, or commenters or people on Twitter. Absolutely oh, yes. aggravating. But here, here's this piece from Robert Perry. I mean, this is how he defines the vanity of perfectionism. Some of the American left operate on what might be called, quote, the vanity of perfectionism, the notion that what's most important is to have the perfect analysis, even if its consequences are destructive to mankind. Thus, flawed political leaders who compromise are judged as no better than extremely dangerous ones who initiate wars, like the bloody mess in Iraq, or who would ignore long-term threats like global warming. Right? So, you know, a leader like President Obama who compromises to get the good stuff passed, because let's face it, without compromise, nothing gets past the Joe Liebermans, Ben Nelsons, and the Republican caucus. Sorry. But that, but that makes him... Worse than Bush, or just like Bush, right? Even right. though Bush that's, was and much that's the worse. Thing. To say that he is the same as Bush, or to to say, you know, to talk about uh, human rights abuses, or to uh, to write columns that uh, compare him to, you know, the, really that compare him to, you know, some sort of tyrannical dictator, or to or to go uh, to, uh, to a lesser extent, yeah, to, to once again say that he's just like Bush. That's that's just, it's nonsense. It's it's not even that's not even worth you know when you say that your opinion should immediately be cast out because it is ludicrous. Well, you're continuing further in campaign 2000, and this is something I did mention last week on the show. Campaign 2000, Al Gore had shortcomings, but he was not the same as George W. Bush. To pretend otherwise was not only wrongheaded; it was reckless. Yes, it was, and I know for a fact because I was tricked into feeling that way. Exactly. That, that's, exa- that, that's exactly the thing that I said in the comment section of, of my uh, site this week when I was, when I was talking about Greenwald or something like that. And, and somebody was giving me shit about the fact that I'm constantly harping on what I call political reality, which is, you know, you have to accept that there is a political reality to the uh, things that you say, the decisions you make. It doesn't mean you don't criticize, but you have to accept that. No. And somebody went off and said, you know, it's a good comment, really. But somebody said, you know, uh, you operate as if there are really only two electable sort of electable extremes, alternatives right now. And, and I said there are. And and you can deny it all you'd like, but that to do so is is suicide on a national level, which is basically exactly what now that I'm hearing it, exactly what Perry said. You know, it's 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 reckless. Well, and it, and Perry continues by saying, it, you know, this uh, this uh, Bush and Gore exactly the same mentality kept the race close enough for Bush to steal the White House, and that's kind of true because the disillusionment that was going on on the left and among Democrats, me included. Uh, gave rise to the uh, Ralph Nader campaign. The result, Perry writes, was that many people died unnecessarily and the future of the planet was put at greater risk by Bush's hostility to warnings about global warming. He continues by saying the final withdrawal of U.S. troops at the insistence of the Iraqi government with Obama's acquiescence is a very big deal. 
Oddly, it was being acknowledged uh, more by the right than by the left, with prominent Republicans condemning Obama's announcement as an admission of U.S. defeat. That's because the neocons saw Bush's Standards of Forces Agreement as only a holding action and expected that the U.S. government would twist the arms of the Iraqis to get them to accept a permanent U.S. military presence in Iraq. The neocons are now condemning Obama for not doing so. There's going to be more uh, American soldiers in Belgium than there will be in Iraq. Again, that's the... You can't underestimate how important this decision was. Yes, there was an agreement that was made in 2008. It's a long time. It's been a long time since 2008. A lot of influence swinging around uh, at the Pentagon. I assure you. I mean, I I don't like to get inside people's heads since I just criticized uh, somebody else for doing that. But, (laughs) yeah, like you said, if you don't think that that and Perry said, if if you don't think that uh, arms could be twisted, that if we wanted to as the United States, we couldn't figure out a way to keep people in Iraq. You're fucking nuts. Yeah, we absolutely could have figured out a way to do it. But I mean, going back and I'm I'm speaking specifically to the the people who uh, consider themselves sort of undecided, independent, undecided people in the middle. Both parties are not the same, and, and you're, you're mistaken if you believe they are. I mean, there are corrupt things about both parties, make no mistake. But policy-wise, you are never going to get the same legislation we've seen in the last three years. You're never going to get that from the Republicans, ever. You're never going to see an $800 billion stimulus package that, that rescued the economy. It's not gonna, just, that's, that's not going to occur. You know, you're not going to see health care reform. You're not going to see uh, the Matthew Shepard Act. You're not going to see uh, don't ask, don't tell overturn. All right. These are all things that are unique to the Democratic Party. And while, yes, it's frustrating to look at Harry Reid and, you know, the com- some of the compromise that has to go on. Well, you know, some of that compromise is part and parcel of being a grown up. Sometimes you have to compromise. You, you, you know, it's it's all well and good for the rest of us to, to you know, fold our arms and, and harumph in front of our uh, Twitter uh, windows and, to, and, and say, God damn it, I would, I would hold my breath until the Republicans did this and I would get tough and beat my shoe on the table and say, don't you do that, you Republicans. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> thank, that's you. Just a, thank you for that, that uh, fine, slim pickings uh, <laughs> impression. I didn't know whether I was she either channeling slim pickings or uh, Corky St. Clair from uh, Waiting for Government. I hate you and I hate your ass face. But uh, but yeah, it's it's fine for those of us who you know are are sitting on the sidelines commenting about it to do that. But it's it's not so fine when you've got the got the lives and the futures of three hundred million people on your shoulder. I think I do understand why people. I know I know why you know why I got get pissed when I see the Democrats compromising. It is because you don't ever see Republicans compromising ever. And 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 there was this time, you know, there were these there was this eight year period where if the Republicans didn't like what the Democrats had to say, Jim Sensenbrenner would just get up and shut the fucking light off on him and walk out of the room, you know, or or the Republicans would, you know, would take people who disagreed with them, uh, you know, would would put tires around them and set them on fire, basically, you know, uh, attach car batteries to their genitals until they got what they wanted. I mean, they did not ever back down because the Republicans are so incredibly good at that there. I think that overall, I think they're for for this for the current climate, I think they're better politicians yeah. than Democrats are. Well, and as frustrating as I, th- I think it is to observe sometimes, the fact of the matter is, and, and this is policy aside, we're just talking specifically politics here. 
the president attempting to compromise and attempting to reach some kind of agreement between the parties is a noble pursuit. And it, yes, it, again, it's frustrating to look at sometimes, especially when our policy ideas get jettisoned, like the public option, for example. And that was only a negotiation, by the way, within the Democratic Party. The Republicans didn't even enter into that conversation. That was a conversation between, uh, you know, the White House and like Joe Lieberman. But regardless, there's there's a sense of the future. There's a sense of the past. There's a sense of history in this president. And in order to continue, in order for the American form of government to, to continue to function, there has to be someone who says, you know what, my political future be damned. We've got to maintain some kind of precedent for compromise here. Otherwise, the only way things are going to get done is when one party controls both branches of government, White House and, and both houses, both uh, bicameral uh, houses of Congress. That, that's the only way anything's ever going to get done. If you end up getting split government, divided government like we have now, we, get, we can't go on as a country if there's gridlock every time the Republicans occupy one branch and the Democrats occupy the other branch. It's just, it can't function that way. It, he, up until this point, up until the Bush years, it was possible for government to function if there was a, a, uh, one party controlling one branch and another party controlling the other. They would just figure out, okay, well, in order for any of us to have some sort of success that we can take home during an election season, we, we have to do something. We can't just stand here with our arms full or else everyone's going to hate us. And what, what's going on right now? Even though the president's at 40 percent, I think Congress is at 10 percent approval right now. 10 percent yeah. approval. You know, and you could say, well, you know, the American people voted for divided government and now this is what they get. Well, the American people want bipartisanship. Even of, like, I think it's 21 percent of the Occupy Wall Street people want more uh, bipartisanship. Amer- Amer- the American people want what the government is supposed to be, which is checks and balances. That's, you know, you don't want a monarchy. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's the way it should be. But once again, like you said, uh, having a divided government should not mean that everything grinds to a halt. Mm-hmm. It's obscene yeah. to think that that's what it's come to. And, you know, I, I'm actually surprising myself because I was, you know, in the early days of the Obama administration, I was really, uh, you know, <laughs> just really adamantly against the idea of, of compromising with the Republicans because I felt that there was no compromising with them. But there is a wisdom. I, I don't think there is. Well, yeah, and that is, that is exactly right. But there is a wisdom in the attempt to try to, to maintain some kind of precedent. If ultimately the president says, you know what? F you, I'm just going to sign an executive order and I'm going to bypass all of this. Then he's doing what ultimately he needs to do. But at least he's tried to say, you know what, I've reached out to you guys. You've smacked my hand down to hell with you, you know, because with without that attempt to compromise, if, if every president from the next guy on on down decides, you know what, compromise is impossible, I'm not even going to try. Then you're going to have two branches of government just sitting on their hands for four plus years. And that that's a disaster. That's just a disaster waiting to happen. Oh, well, maybe the Republicans will love it because they want to drown government in the bathtub. So to make government ineffectual is probably a good thing for the Republicans. Sure. It proves their point. Exactly. Yeah, if they sabotage government, then it proves their point that government doesn't work. It's it's perfect. It's yeah. a perfect plan. And, and you know what? We're a few percentage points of giving them free reigns to... Uh, to take over and do it from two branches of government instead of just one. 
Today's show brought to you, as it always is, by Bubble Genius, the best damn soap in the world. If you're not buying your soap and bath and body products from Bubble Genius, you're you're supporting, uh, you know, you're not supporting progressive businesses. We should just make something up. Like, you're supporting companies that are killing children. <laughs> That's right. Every single soap company besides Bubble Genius, you know where they get their soap from? Children. They Sweat, kill them. Sweatshops. Dead children. Sweatshops. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Bubble they, Genius does not. Yeah. When uh, the people at Dial are making their soap. They're, yeah, they're, there's fuckers at Dial. No, the kids in the sweatshops are making the soap, and then once they're done making their their quota of soap, they just get dumped into the batter. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but zest zest <laughs> is actually Arabic for child murder. <laughs> so by God, if you care for the children, buy your soap at Bubble Genius. Please do it for the children. Uh, here's their uh, latest conversion. Life stressing you out? Just not enough hours in the day? Finding yourself running ragged with little hope of just a little you time? Well, friend, fret no more. If you've got time for the shower, you've got time to get your zen on with I Can't Believe It's Not Buddha Soap on a Rope by Bubble Genius. You'll find the path to nirvana with this happy sudsy Buddha. Rendered in gentle, green tea-scented vegetable glycerin soap. And it's on a rope, so this guy can hang around your shower and bring you enlightenment each and every day. So let your troubles wash away and enjoy the peace of the here and now with I Can't Believe It's Not Buddha Soap on a Rope. Only from Bubble Genius. Bringing some om to the bathroom. BubbleGenius.com Bob and Chez into your pants and haul them around with you wherever you go. Subscribe to the Bob and Chez Show in the podcast section on iTunes. Eh, make sure to enter your promo code. That's B-O-B-A-N-D-C-H-E-Z, Bob and Chez. Uh, when you go to order your soaps, and you'll get 15% off your entire order from BubbleGenius.com, the exclusive sponsor of this year's podcast. Uh, yep. You know, the, uh, the president introduced a, a, a new stu- student loan program. This week that uh, I think is pretty fantastic. Uh, he's going to cap student loan payments at, at just 10 percent of discretionary income, which mm. every month that that makes you know, your student loan payments pretty reasonable. He's also adding to the mix, um, you know, you can uh, if you do uh, some sort of public service job, some sort of thing, if you become a teacher, uh, the student loan forgiveness program. Uh, you know, will erase your student loan debt after 10 years of payments. That's pretty good. That's, that's a pretty good deal. That's a pretty good deal. I mean, you know, again, here's a situation where I'd love for the money to be taken out of uh, higher education. Not a, at least get a college education for free, like they do in some countries. But if, if, if we can't get there, and obviously we're not going to get there, because that's a lot of unraveling they'd have to do. At least, you know, there's a, a plan here to make it a little easier to pay back the loans that are required to, uh, to finance some of these, <clears throat> some of these colleges and universities. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's a pretty good plan. Of course, the, uh, the attack from the conservative right, and I, I've been listening to a lot of uh, right-wing talk radio lately. I still do not understand that. 
I love it. I I, you know, what, I'm actually. Does your life? Does your life? Is it, <laughs> do you live in like? Uh, uh, are you on ecstasy all the time, and you need something to come into your life that sucks? Well, they decided I'm just not. You know what? I'm too fucking happy. I need something to to bring me back down to reality. Well, yes, there's that, and and then the other the other thing is I end up spending a lot of time in the car. So I'm in the car a lot. Uh, I don't have uh, my Sirius satellite radio anymore. That's a good idea. You're driving a three thousand pound bullet. And you're listening to people who will infuriate you. That's right. I'm an aggressive driver. Screw you, nature. I just go right through all of the uh, the forests and just plow down children. Hmm. Whenever I can, whenever I get angry enough. Uh, but uh, I noticed uh, one guy who happens to always be on when I'm in the car is this uh, right-wing talk show host named Dennis Prager. And I heard him say f- something funny today. He was talking about the president's student loan plan. The idea coming from the, the wingnut right at this point is that the president is buying votes, buying the votes of college students, college graduates with this student loan repayment plan, as if, as if buying votes is a new concept in politics. Anything, anything good that he does for any portion of the country, he's basically buying votes. He's buying votes. And so Dennis Prager says – <laughs> he says, that's the difference between the left and the right. The right doesn't buy votes. I had to actually, <laughs> I had to pull over and write that down. The right doesn't buy votes, says right. right-wing talk radio host Dennis Prager. No, they just redistrict, uh, redistrict everybody so that eventually you can't vote. Right. Do you know that oil companies receive around $113 billion per year in federal money? Mm-hmm. I don't think those oil companies, the executives for those companies or the owners, are, are walking around voting for liberals. Uh, do you know that the 999 plan will reduce a, millionaire's, a millionaire family's tax burden by around $40,000 a year? Here's, here's $40,000 a year uh, for you. Vote, vote Herman Cain, please. <laughs> uh, in May, Republicans blocked a bill that would reduce oil subsidies by $20 billion over the next 10 years. Republicans blocked that. Uh, the Bush tax cuts for the wealthiest 5% uh, amounts to $11.6 million per hour for the wealthiest 5%. $11.6 million per hour. God only knows the billions of dollars elsewhere in corporate subsidies. The right doesn't buy votes. My ass. Unbelievable. The, uh, it's fantasy. not even worth getting angry about. It really isn't. It's, of course it is. It's, you know, it's one of those things where they do something that's so hypocritical and so shameless and so ridiculous that it it shuts you up. It's not even worth it. They, they're so shameless that it's almost not even worth complaining about. It's like, yeah. you know, it's going on. Why bother? Exactly. I mean, I, you know, obviously, yeah, you want to get pissed, but yeah, to, to the, it, really, they, 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 it, it just, it's mind boggling. It's mind boggling how shameless they can be. Yeah. Well, it's it's and it's not even a matter of getting pissed. I mean, I, you know, and I kind of alluded to this uh, yesterday in the Huffington Post, or today in the Huffington Post. They write these things and they go up the next day. Uh, it's it's more. It comes down to understanding what, for lack of a better term, what the enemy is thinking, and that's that's kind of why I listen. I I look upon it as as not so much a catalyst for you know for raising my blood pressure. I, I'm. I, I almost look at it as though I'm eavesdropping on super secret strategy meetings. 
Mm-hmm. And, and what I'm hearing is what conservatives are saying when they think no one else is listening. They, they, they're speaking as if it's their own little insulated world. And well, it, kind it is. Of, it kind of is, yeah. It absolutely is. And I'm eavesdropping in on that. I know there are a lot of other liberals who are probably doing that, too. Certainly Oliver Willis at Media Matters, it's his job to do that. But, you know, if you, if, you, if you listen in and you try to understand where they're coming from, it really, as a, as a writer, it's, it's really informative. It really is helping me construct counterpoints to that and to kind of twist that, you know, twist some of those arguments in, in, on top of them, uh, those people. Just, I mean, when you look at a guy saying to millions of listeners, the right doesn't buy votes. I mean, you got to wonder if how many people, how many of those millions of listeners are going, damn right. I mean, completely removed and separated from reality. Yeah, um, of course. I mean, I, I think there's, I think the furthest I ever got doing what you're doing is I listened to Fox one time for three hours in the car on Sirius. Now that- and, uh, and I wrote about it. And I said, it, it's eye-opening. It's eye-opening because every single thing that you know to be true, here comes this network that turns it all upside down on its ass. It is, I mean, it, it's, saying it, calling it propaganda is, is honestly, it, it's too much of an understatement. It's much more than that. It really, it's, it's absolute submersion into an alternate universe. Yeah. It really is. And, and it's, a, it's a separate reality. If they're existing in a reality where conservatives don't buy votes, where Republicans don't buy votes, that's a different reality. Because, look, I'm very liberal. I would consider myself far left. But you know what? <laughs> there are liberals out there who buy votes. President's, president's buying votes. Uh, you know, the president's doing the right thing. But it's also political. These are people who exist in, in the world of politics. Politics is about buying votes sometimes. I mean, let's, Everything let's look you at do we, is technically buying votes. <laughs> that's right. You want how you want to look at it. That's what kind of what Prager was saying. Yeah. I mean, you we do all, something good. You do something that benefits people. You're kind of buying their vote. Yeah. I mean, if we if we behave in a certain way, we do a good job at our job. We're buying our own votes, you know, right. and we, do, we successfully achieve what we have to achieve that day. Our, our company does better. Our bosses like us and we keep our jobs. I'm I trying mean, that's to think a, of who it was. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of who it was who said recently that, oh, God, I can't remember. Uh, it was a really quick like blog post. Uh, uh, somebody who basically said that uh, that the Republicans when Obama, I think Obama was on the road bitching about how the Republicans were not going to pass uh, uh, the American job, uh, job Act. And this person's comment was, yeah, you know, how dare you go out and tell people what you're doing instead of just letting us do it to you? You know, come back here, sit on your hands in Washington and let us rail about how much you suck. <laughs> and that's what they want. They're, yeah. You know, he's buying votes. He's doing good things for people. So therefore, he's buying their vote. And there's something nefarious about it. Yeah, he's buying votes. I, I think it's more frustrating to imagine, as you're listening to these radio shows, to imagine what the listeners are saying to themselves as it happens. Listen to Rush Limbaugh. You can just see. You can just envision in your head ignoramus doofish white guys in their cars and traffic, you know, 
just laughing their asses off every time he says, you know, Barack the Magic Negro or something like that. It just, you know, he knows, Rush Limbaugh knows his audience. He understands his audience. He understands what they will think is hilarious. And he says those things. That's a, that's a sign of a good broadcaster. He's a jackass. He's a liar. Sure. And he's arguably a racist. But, you know, he's a good broadcaster. It's like, I don't a, think like, he is. I don't think he's a racist at all. I think he's playing a, a really, really good, like you said, he's playing a really good role. Well, you know, I, And I'm not saying he doesn't believe a lot of what he says, but I think that he amps it up because he knows it's what his audience really wants to hear, and it's made him obscenely wealthy. Well, he's, what he's doing is he's race baiting for the purpose of generating ratings for himself. And I think, yeah, I, and I think that... If, if that doesn't skirt the line of, of being racist, I, I don't know what does. You know, I, and I know for a fact that the guy, the guy just hates women. I mean, that's, that's a fact. I mean, you, just, yeah. you, don't have to, you don't have to read. I mean, you don't have to listen to a show to even get that. Just read a couple of interviews with him or read his backstory. This is a guy who just does not. He's a misogynist of the highest order. But I mean, this, you know, Pat Buchanan wrote a book. He used to date Darren Kagan. Who I worked oh, yeah. with at CNN, which was always very weird to me. I mean, that was—it's funny—that was like you know the the thing we do not talk about. Mm. Uh, you know, all of us worked with her, and nobody ever mentioned to her like, you know, look, we like you, Darren, and and obviously maybe there's something about him. You know, really, maybe it's all just a show. Maybe everything. Maybe the interviews, all of it. It's all part of the you know the big ruse. Um, but yeah, we're just like, uh, you know, did dad not give you enough love as a kid or something? Or was, was it either become a, a stripper crack whore or date Rush Limbaugh? Right. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know. Way, what is I, I, I say that I say that, uh, you know, highlighting again the fact that I, Darren Kane was a really nice, a really nice person. I like her a lot. Yeah. And you wonder what she saw in that guy. Uh You know, I don't know. I guess I, I guess in a weird, bizarre way, he could. He might have a good sense of humor. He got her oxy. He got her oxy. That's right. I'd date him if he got me oxy. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, racist uh, conservatives, Pat Buchanan's got a new book out. <laughs> it's called uh, Suicide of a Superpower. And, uh, I mean, all you really need to know about it is that there's a chapter by, called... By the way, the upcoming, the new, the new Spinal Tap record. It's called that as well. <laughs> the Suicide of a Superpower. <laughs> There's a chapter in there called The End of White America. That's all you really need to know about Pat Buchanan. I love him. I here's, love Pat. Here's a section from that, uh, that particular chapter. The white population will begin to shrink, and should, birth, uh, should present birth rates persist, slowly disappear. Hispanics are already compromised 42% of New Mexico's population, 37% of California's, 38% of Texas's, and over half the population of Arizona under the age of 20. Mexico is moving north. Ethnically, linguistically, and culturally, the verdict of 1848 is being overturned. That was the Mexican War. Will this Mexican nation within a nation advance the goals of the Constitution to ensure domestic tranquility and make uh, us a more perfect union? Or has our passivity in the face of this invasion imperiled our nation? Or will they sell sheepskins in the Westlake District of L.A.? Well, there's nothing more white supremacist than, than concerning yourselves over whether or not white, the white population is going to dwindle. Who cares? I mean, it's the whole issue. I mean, who cares if whites are 70 percent of the population right now? And, yeah, that, that's going to dwindle. There are more uh, Latinos, Hispanics, 
in America. And it's, it's growing. I mean, I think it would, by 2050, uh, white people will be a minority. But so what? Well, I'm going to slightly go off, go off the rails here, probably. Okay. Go off the rails. Uh, I actually don't think it's necessarily wrong to have conversation about whether the rise of an integrated immigrant nation within the United States leads to loss of our national identity. Uh, you know, the effects of immigration. I, I don't, it's going to change the face of America. And I think that like anything else, it's going to be, uh, it's, it is going to be positive or negative. And I think it's a conversation worth, uh, worth having regardless. I think that obviously if we close our, our we close our borders or do the kind of isolationist crap that Buchanan uh, constantly proffers, we would really lose our national identity. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's what, what Buchanan's doing really anyway. He's not attempting to start a conversation. He's just pissed that old white men no longer have absolute control over the country. And that's something I mentioned before when it comes to the right. They don't exactly hate minorities, non-whites, what have you. Uh, they just want to make sure that they always know their place. And that's in the non-threatening position of never being, quote unquote, uppity, uh, of always deferring to the old white Christian guys or adopting their dogma or, you know, fiercely uh, championing their dogma. But I, I know we would get around to this eventually, so you may as well just say it. You got to give Buchanan credit for being willing to say what the average Republican is thinking. He is honestly, he is the conservative kid. He doesn't give a fuck what anybody thinks of him because he's reached the Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino stage of his life <laughs> yeah. where he just doesn't care one goddamn bit anymore. No, he doesn't. He's got nothing to eventually, lose Eventually, he and Jack Cafferty are going to move over the fence from each other like in Grumpy Old Men and vie for the uh, affection of <laughs> Van Margaret. It's only a matter of time. That's right. But, I mean, you know, what these guys think is that uh, with the browning of America, and it, he kind of says it right here, ensure domestic tranquility, he references, from the Constitution. You know, They're savages. He's, he's, yeah, that's exactly what he thinks. He thinks that that 1950s utopia in America, that white utopia, is going to disappear. It's going to vanish. We're going to suddenly become a third world nation. And it's going to be because... Brown people have taken over. And with brown people comes chaos. I mean, that's, that's the attitude. That's the Pat Buchanan attitude. Can you please make a bumper sticker that says that? With brown people <laughs> come chaos. With brown people comes chaos. I love that. <sighs> the, that's, it, by the way, the follow-up Spinal Tap record to uh, Suicide of a Superpower. <laughs> uh, there's a chapter called The White Party. This is pretty good. If the GOP is not the party of New Haven firefighter Frank Ritchie and Cambridge uh, cop James Crowley, it has no future. And although Howard Dean disparages the Republicans as the white party, why should Republicans be ashamed to represent the progeny of the men who founded, built, and defended America since her birth as a nation? Yeah, that's, that's fucking racist. That really is. <laughs> I mean, he's basically not, saying. Well, the interesting thing is not only is it racist, it's absolutely 100 percent wrong. Yeah, because it, it, I mean, it, it's wrong from a from a, a purely removing everything else, a purely logical, uh, a purely logical perspective, which is if you're making the argument that brown, 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 brown is taking over many brown people, all kinds of brown people, uh, then holding on to what will soon be in your eyes, you know, representing the minority and pretty much really pretty much, let's face it, the minority alone, it basically ensures your demise. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's cheering on the regionalization 
the homogenization of the Republican Party. That's already really occurring. I think he's I think he's talking about representing them now before it gets that bad. And then, of course, we all know that uh, in in Pat's bizarre adult mind, that means that you enact legislation that, as I said, does things like puts up giant fences and keeps, uh, you know, keeps the brown out and so on and so forth. You know, isn't it? It's so bizarre to me that Herman Cain is joking about making electric fences along the Texas border. I mean, this guy, I, I want him to stick around only because I, I, I really am interested in peeling back more layers of that onion. I want to see what makes this guy tick because he's, he's endlessly fascinating, if only for this inherent hypocrisy. I have no issue with, you know, you're black and you're conservative. That's that's fine. And I don't think that naturally makes you an Uncle Tom. But, yeah, I mean, certainly when you compare things like the kind of shit that Pat Buchanan's spewing and then there's Herman Cain and Herman Cain is also saying we need to keep a certain number of people out. It's like, dude, let me tell you something. You know, uh, not all that many years ago, uh, Pat Buchanan would basically be telling you to go get him a clean fork, nigger. Well, they, they, I mean, there's another uh, similar issue when it comes to uh, 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 gay Republicans. You say, well, how can there possibly be gay Republicans? And it's because, I mean, usually with, with gay Republicans, you find them uh, saying, well, you know what? I really disagree with the Republican Party on uh, social issues, but I'm in favor of small government, lower taxes, yada, yada, yada. And you say, well, okay, I, I get that. I get that. I don't know how you support a party that wants to keep you uh, as a second-class citizen, but, oh, okay, I at least understand the small government thing, low taxes thing. I'm Italian, and I really like the fact that Mussolini got the trains to run on time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the idea of Herman Cain as, as a black Republican and also supporting legislation that would, you know, basically electrocute Mexicans. <laughs> no, he's just joking, though. Just kidding. That's a joke. He's a funny guy. I don't know if you haven't seen that new commercial. He's obviously, he's more than funny. He's oh high. My God, yeah. He's yeah. completely fucking high. That new ad says, uh, says that thing that my campaign manager uh, is smoking there is not a cigarette, and I just shotgun that shit. <laughs> that smile at the end of the commercial, he is high as a motherfucker. We'll talk about that in a second. Today's show is always brought to you by uh, BubbleGenius.com. Pure products, pure genius, bubble genius. Go buy your all of your soap, bath, and body products, uh, or else the children will die. <laughs> Here now is their latest commercial. Life stressing you out? Just not enough hours in the day? Finding yourself running ragged with little hope of just a little you time? Well, friend, fret no more. If you've got time for the shower, you've got time to get your zen on with I Can't Believe It's Not Buddha Soap on a Rope by Bubble Genius. You'll find the path to nirvana with this happy sudsy Buddha rendered in gentle green tea scented vegetable glycerin soap. And it's on a rope so this guy can hang around your shower and bring you enlightenment each and every day. So let your troubles wash away and enjoy the peace of the here and now with I Can't Believe It's Not Buddha Soap on a Rope. Only from Bubble Genius, bringing some ohm to the bathroom. BubbleGenius.com 
the Bubble Genius Bob and Chez Show. That is the name of this year's program. Make sure to enter your promo code Bob and Chez B O B A N D C H E Z and get fifteen percent off all, all of your all of your stuffs from Bubble Genius. You go to check out. Uh, they sent me a bunch of stuff and I love it. Really yeah, did they send you? I don't think they sent you any uh, hibiscus stuff. What what all did you get? I got like uh, uh, glow in the dark plutonium soap. Uh, one that that has an outline of like a dead guy on it. I guess they obviously know what I'm all about. <laughs> they figured that out pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, and uh, and some that that's like shaped like a donut and smells like a donut, which I'm saving for when uh, Inara comes down because I got to go. I'm going to New York tomorrow morning. I got to go uh, pick her up. Oh great! From New York for the from New York for the last time because her mom is moving out to Dallas for. Uh, Mm. Oh, God. Won't even go into that. Yeah, that sounds fun. Uh-huh. Well, uh, and, you know, I'm not afraid to uh, to take care of personal business on the show, but I actually need more soap from Bubble Genius. We're entirely out of my favorite uh, hibiscus soap, which is my favorite soap I've ever used. I mean, I, I'm not just saying that because they're sponsoring the show. I, I really need it. It's outstanding soap. And we're all done I'll with it. I'll have to ask for hibiscus because, yeah, the stuff that I got was really good. I yeah. like it, obviously. <coughs> Regarding that, uh, <coughs> excuse me, that Herman Cain commercial, you know, I figured at first I was like, well, this is the most bizarre thing that I've ever seen uh, in, in the context of a political ad, at least since that, uh, that Rick Perry epic commercial, that Michael Bay trailer that he did. That is, I said it on the blog, that is, I shit you not, that is the weirdest thing I've ever seen not being high. <laughs> I mean, that is like I, I did. I used to do drugs years ago. And at no point in my most hallucinatory delirium could I have come up with something that fucking crazy. It really is. I mean, if you haven't seen it yet, go to YouTube. I don't know why you haven't seen it yet. But, but, uh, Stephen Colbert did a great bit about it. In fact, he did a bunch of his own where, you know, in the middle of it, one guy starts chugging down a, a fifth of Jack Daniels and I was starts doing <laughs> doing whippets and then i think the third one is uh oh someone tries to shoot himself i was playing russian roulette that's what the other one is doing (laughs) various colbert versions of that commercial but you know the guy the guy's campaign manager his chief of staff i think gets on and says you know vote for herman cain because i'm i'm working for herman cain and here watch me smoke this cigarette and i need a job (laughs) i need a job and then there's this song that's playing called i am america and and we see the guy slowly smoking a cigarette, and then we cut to Herman Cain with his eight-second-long slow smile. Yeah. Which uh, Colbert beat it. I think Colbert did a slow smile that lasted 18 seconds or something like that. It's really funny. But, uh, you know, I think it was calculated. And if I didn't know any better, I-, I would think it was something that they did deliberately to distract from the disaster that happened last week, which was Herman Cain's ridiculous abortion gaffe. I don't know if you right. saw that, but I mean, you want to talk about a desperate need to change the subject, no matter how weird that subject might be. This is, I mean, this was the time to do it because first, yeah, he I said, mean, it's definitely the demon sheep ad. It really is. Yeah, exactly. Well, what he did last week was he said on one show, he said that, uh, that he would ban abortion across the board, but yet uh, the government shouldn't be involved in that decision. People should be able to decide to do it, whatever the hell they want. Now, I think he said he's against abortion in all circumstances, but people should be able to do what they want. Okay, which is basically 
to be honest with you, that's my position. I'm not, I'm not pro-abortion. I'm just pro-choice. Right. So, uh, you know, if you want to have an abortion, that's your decision. And this is what Herman Cain said on television. And then he was challenged about it and said, no, I'm for banning abortion across the board. And then the, I think it was Greta Van Susteren or someone said, well, I, or it's Megyn Kelly. What are you talking about, sir? <laughs> you just said, well, no. And then he, then he goes into his ex- explanation like, if someone wants to break the law after I've banned abortion in all circumstances, that's their choice. That's what I meant. <laughs> He's getting, just just digging, digging deeper and just twisting himself into this knot over arguably the biggest conservative issue. I mean, bigger than taxes, bigger than reducing the size of government, bigger than gun control. Abortion is the thing. You know, you take abortion out of the equation, the Republican Party really doesn't exist anymore. And this is this is what he decides to completely botch. So, of course, you know, if if I'm if I'm strategizing with Herman Cain, I'm going, what what do we got to do something? (laughs) <laughs> to change the subject. What do we do? Uh, oh, let's get uh, um, a Mark Block, the chief of staff. Let's get him to do a commercial, and then he'll just take a big, long drag out of a, uh, you know, right. the camel light. When just blow the smoke shoot it? The Mark's on his smoke break out front right now. Let's go. <laughs> let's go out to the Olive Garden. <laughs> exactly. That's what, uh, uh, that's what Gawker said. called it. Oh, Gawker, so yeah. It's like it's a Gawker. drunk rambling outside of an Olive Garden. Outside of an Olive Garden. <laughs> And so that's what they release. That is the uh, the big Herman Cain story of the week. And that's a, no one's talking about the abortion thing anymore. Everyone's talking about. I mean, then Mark Block goes on Fox News to respond to his own commercial. I mean, it's unlike anything I'd ever seen before. Well, I mean, it's it's this this the Republican uh, stable. Is a it is a comics wet dream. It's hilarious. Yeah. A, a human centipede made up of Hunter Thompson, Elmore Leonard, and like Carl Hyacin could not have come up with characters <laughs> like these if you put a laptop in front of them. That's right. But that's but it. the reality is that it's not funny at all. Uh, that's the thing that gets to me. It's um, it's such great material and it's great to laugh at and it's great to write about. But you never lose sight of the fact that this is real life. These yeah. fucking walking punchlines are running for president of the United States. Mm-hmm. And the only mildly sane one among them at the moment is Mitt Romney. And uh, a he wears special underwear to ward off evil spirits. And b he is constantly trying to ingratiate himself to the crazy people. Yeah, and you know they're only a couple of percentage points away from actually winning, which is the the really frightening thing. I mean, it's soberingly frightening. Yeah, that's uh, what I mean. It, it is sobering. You know, I it's 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 depressing. It's beyond depressing. Uh, a, a couple of things before we wrap up the show. First of all, uh, last week I said that it wasn't a requirement that you put your hand over your heart for the national anthem. It actually is. And okay. I received I a bunch of that. emails uh, this past week with the, uh, with the actual the section of the U.S. Code. Guy writes, on last week's Bob and Chez show, you commented on the way uh, one should stand for the national anthem. I looked it up. As I, as, uh, I, as you did, thought it was, the pro- it was proper to stand at attention. But appears we were wrong. Just thought you'd like to know. And here's the section okay. of the U.S. Code, Title 36, Section 301. 
A, designation, a composition consisting of the words and music known as the Star-Spangled Banner is the national anthem. B, conduct during playing, during a rendition of the national anthem. One, when the flag is displayed, A, all present except those in uniform should stand at attention facing the flag with the right hand over the heart. B, men not in uniform remove their headdress with their right hand and hold the headdress at the left shoulder, the hand being over the heart. And C, individuals in uniform should give the military salute at the first note of the anthem and maintain that position until the last note. And two, when the flag is not displayed, all present should face toward the music and act in the same manner they would if the flag were displayed. So guess what? Yeah, so I was wrong about that last week. That is just way too difficult. That's a that's a freaking Gordian knot of of you know regulation. Yeah, the second one. I, was- I want I want the government out of my uh, my uh, standing at attention for the pledge. <laughs> right, right. Too much government restriction on the way I stand for the pledge. And you know, uh, on, on absolutely the lighter side of of everything, uh, you and I are we're we're big uh, uh, proponents of. Uh, you know, free speech, especially so. in the media. And uh, if you recall, it was several weeks ago, I think uh, Nancy Grace had a nipple slip on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. Uh, and uh, still, still uh, if I watched the show, I would still be traumatized by it. <laughs> well, a bunch of people have, of course, written to the FCC to complain. And I wanted to read uh, probably my favorite. It's, you can see all the letters on uh, The Smoking Gun. But this one this is my favorite. This is a favorite. This is a complaint letter to the FCC. I was watching Dancing with the Stars, and Nancy Grace displayed her naked pornographic breast and nipple on national television. This is an outrage that ABC would broadcast pornography to a family audience. I have read that Nancy Grace is denying it, but there are screen captures which clearly show her pornographic nipple display <laughs> as it was seen on TV. I demand- By the way, the, the follow-up follow-up uh, Spinal Tap record, pornographic nipple display. <laughs> I demand that ABC and Nancy Grace be fined for this disgusting and godless display of her naked breast on television. You know what job I want? I want to be able to write back to every one of those people. Every <laughs> single one. I just want to, oh, it would be so much fun. Well, yeah. I mean, if you remember uh, the Janet Jackson uh, nipple thing essentially changed the face of media forever. Yep. There's another letter here. Uh, Nancy Grace had a wardrobe malfunction where her nipple, nipple private came out and scared my children. <laughs> she wow. Sh- she should be fined. That's what scared your children about Nancy Grace? <laughs> Nancy Grace had a wardrobe malfunction where her nipple private came out and scared my children. By the way, that's one uh, that's one rank beneath uh, nipple corporal. I mean, I'm looking at the picture here, and it's scaring me. I mean, uh, obviously, it'd be the- great if like her, her uh, you know, her dress came down and out popped like a missing uh, toddler or something, <laughs> a missing baby. Man, I thought they would at least give her a bump in the ratings, but I think she's still in, like, fourth place. Our time slot. Oh, this, oh, this letter continued in all caps. She was, ju- <laughs> of she was jumping around dancing with her breasts out. She knew it could happen. Fine her. Well, that I agree with, but not for that <laughs> reason. 
So there you go. If it leads to Nancy Grace being, you know, uh, having her feet beaten with like, uh, you know, a rubber hose, I'm all for that. Just, you know, not to get too graphic about this, but I'm seeing this picture here on the smoking gun. Giant nipples, like gigantic nipples. Like like tennis tennis ball circumference. There's something I never needed to know, really. (laughs) Thank you. But on the side, thank thank you for giving me that image because now, like, when I'm having sex and I need to hold off orgasm, I know exactly what to think of. (laughs) No more baseball for me. You know, and and I said nipples. I meant nipple. I mean, her other nipple could be uh, of normal size, but the one is looks like you see about twenty percent of it. It's huge. Oh, lovely. Well, anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Drive safely, and uh, see you next week, Chess. Bye. See you, man. (laughs) Is that a raincoat? Yes, it is. (laughs)